Not used to have so many in the spray zone up here in the front. Um, this Friday night is going to be the uh, first Friday night singing. So you can uh, either see those Friday nights as better preparation for what we do uh, on singing night or singing night is better preparation for that. But they work well in hand. So we'd love to have you. We uh, learn new songs at that time and it is a great time of fellowship. We usually show up at 6 and we eat and, and visit with one another and we sing for about an hour starting at 7. Uh, so uh, you can kind of mark that down in an ongoing way, first Friday night of the month. Someone has said that prayer is a lifelong chance of a lifetime. And I believe that that certainly is the case. When we consider what God makes available to us through prayer, it is a powerful resource. I heard a, a story that, about a, a preacher who went to visit a man who was in a long-term and terminal illness. And as the man began to decline and get closer to death, that preacher, as he went in, noticed that there was always a chair pulled up to the bedside of that dying man. And the preacher had asked him if he'd had someone to come and to visit with him that day. He said, no, I've not had too many visitors. He says, I put Jesus in that chair, and I speak with him each and every day. What a beautiful attitude or disposition to take with regard to prayer, to see it as an ongoing conversation with a friend. The daughter came in at the end of his life right after he had passed away and noticed something that she observed with the preacher. She said it was strange that when he passed away, his head was not on his pillow, but his head was laying in that empty chair. Prayer is sweet communion. I mention prayer because it is or has been the crux of several of the questions that you've asked. Someone has put a Bible question box out there and we're grateful for that. We go to that, we pull those out. We're not going to take all of those, but quite a few of them are on the subject of prayer. And I want to commend you because that says a lot about you. It says so much that you're concerned about how to pray better, what to pray about, and how we might be more effective in prayer. I'm convinced of the fact that Satan is afraid of a praying church. And when we think about what's going on in our lives, there are so many health crises, there are family crises, there are spiritual crises that necessitate us calling on our God. If Satan can't stand the thought of a praying church, let's think about how God views a praying church. When we think about God and his attention to it, all we need to do is read in the book of Revelation. When the seventh seal is opened, it is the prayers of the saint. And they go up as a fragrant aroma to God. And there is silence in heaven for half an hour as God gives tribute to and beholds the beauty of the prayers of the saints. When you and I pray to God, think about how God sees it. When you go to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8, and our prayers are described as being like incense in golden bowls. When you think about all that's going on in our lives, we're praying for our family members. We're praying for our lost friends and loved ones. We're praying for our elders as they are in the process of seeking additional men to lead us in this congregation. When you think about the upcoming events that are so much bigger than ourselves, events like Equip next spring, it is going to require so much that's beyond our ability to produce. We need God's help in prayer. And something that God cares so much about and pays such close attention to is something that we want to do better. And so we feel like Jesus' disciples who come up to him in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1 and say, just like John's disciples taught them, Lord, teach us to pray. 
And so with that in mind, I want us to look at three specific questions that were asked in this question and answer session. I don't have a screen back there, so I'm sorry if I'm getting ahead of us. All right, here we go. Number one, is it scriptural for a woman, I'm assuming in this, a baptized woman, to lead prayer in a home where there are baptized men? I think we're continuing our streak of asking some kind of woman's role question in our question and answers, but we'll look at that specifically in the subject of prayer as it was asked. Where we want to begin in answering this question is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 through 12. Because it is in that particular setting that the Apostle Paul is telling us about the role of both men and women. And what I find significant is that he specifically deals with the example of prayer. So if you look back in 1 Timothy chapter 2, so often when we're here we're looking at the role of women. But the Apostle Paul also includes the role of men. And he says in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8, I want the men in every place to pray. All right, so that word for men there is not the more general word for mankind. There is a word for that in the New Testament. This is the more gender-specific males. I will that men in every place pray. By the way, that word in the English means what it means in the Greek, in every place. So it's not just in the auditorium, it's not just just during the worship setting, it's where the people of God are gathered, they're following God's house rules. 1 Timothy 3 verse 15. And then he focuses his attention to what he seeks for the Christian woman to do. He says first off in verse 9 that she is to dress herself modestly and discreetly, that she is to be characterized by good works, and then she is also to learn in quietness. And he says in verse 12, there are two things it is not permissible for her to do. She is not to uh, teach or to exercise authority over the man. Now as it relates to our question, the idea of praying in the presence of baptized men in the home situation, would be that second, that idea of exercising independent authority. Now, it's not our purpose to answer a women's role question, but that's outlined for us as we've looked at in the past in verse 12 through 15. But we observe the fact that God has said that this is a boundary with regard to that. Now, what I wonder is if the questioner is asking about a mother of baptized boys. Now, if that's the case, please understand that Paul uses a specific word for men. It does not include that idea for child. And and we've mentioned this before, just because a boy is baptized, it does not make him a man. And so it would not be impermissible for this mother to pray in front front of her baptized boys. And I do think wisdom would say that when uh, those boys begin to get older, she is going to participate in wisdom toward Uh, teaching them responsibility and engaging them in spiritual leadership. And so she is going to naturally step back as they begin to show signs of maturing. It could be that this questioner is asking about whether or not it's permissible for a Christian woman to pray in front of her husband. Now I believe, and I'm speaking from my judgment, And Hiram may feel differently, others may feel differently, but I believe it's permissible for a Christian woman to pray in front of her husband because of the one flesh relationship. Here's the reason why I believe it's permissible. In Acts chapter 18, verse 24 through 28, you have Aquila and Priscilla who are teaching Apollos. And keep in mind what Paul has said in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. She is not to teach over the man. But what we have in Acts 14, uh, 24, uh, 18, 
It's in Acts 18:24-28, is we have uh, Priscilla, who is mentioned alongside of Aquila. They are teaching him. Her name's even mentioned first most often when they appear together. But she is teaching Apollos. He's not a Christian, so he's not in view. But Aquila is. And she's teaching in his presence. I also believe because of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 that it's logical for us to read the construction of Peter when he talks about a Christian man uh, honoring his wife, seeing her as a fellow heir of life so that their prayers be not hindered. I believe it is a legitimate construction to see that the two of them praying together don't want that to be hindered by them not fulfilling their roles as husband and wife. That's our possible exception. I believe husbands and wives need to figure that out in the privacy and the intimacy of the marriage relationship. But that is not a permission slip for us to step outside into smaller areas or groups or other baptized men in the home and say, okay, it's permissible there. I believe Paul is very clear about what he says is permissible with a woman and baptized men in the home or anywhere else. All right, number two. The question is, does God answer prayers for unbelievers that are offered by their children? There are some further questions. What should you pray about for unbelievers? And is such praying vain? There may be more that we want to know on this subject, but I believe our answer is very clear. Now, Jesus is teaching about what it takes to be a disciple. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, he is trying to show us uh, true righteousness, not the shallow righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. And so he says, you're going to have a better relationship with uh, non-Christian enemies, non-disciples. And one of those is you're going to pray for those who persecute you. Now, that may include from time to time a Christian who's persecuting another Christian. But on the whole, Jesus is referring to or has in mind the non-Christian. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 28, Jesus similarly says that you are to pray for those who mistreat you. Well, we also look at the mission that God gives disciples in the New Testament. And a lot of the prayers that we find are with regard to Christians praying on behalf of unbelievers. For example, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse 1, the Apostle Paul is saying that he was grateful for it. He wanted the prayers of the saints so uh, for the word to be believed and the word to, to be glorified. He says, as it was with you. Well, that takes me back to Acts chapter 17, verse 1 and following, when the church at Thessalonica was established. All of them, including the Christians that Paul is writing to First and Second Thessalonians in those letters, they were at one time not Christians. But the word was preached by Paul and by Silas, and as the result of that, it was believed, it was glorified by these new Christians as they obeyed the gospel. So in essence, what Paul was saying is that we were praying, we're praying and asking you to pray for other non-Christians to respond like you did. Or more simply, what about Jesus? Matthew chapter 9, having shown compassion for the crowds. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 38, he says, Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest, send forth workers into the harvest. What's the harvest? That's all the folks that are lost. And so we know on a most basic level, God wants us, his saints, the one whose prayers are so precious, are filling those golden bowls of incense. He wants us praying for those who are outside of the body of Christ. Now, we keep in mind that God is never, and it was a great point made this morning, incidental to the subject at hand. God doesn't overtake our will. 
God is not going to overtake the will of unbelievers and make them believe. And yet, and we'll see more about this in our third question that's asked, we can pray for them and see God answer that any number of ways. He may answer that by sending somebody into their lives who can help them and who can encourage them and who can be for them. Someone who uh, will open a door that a study can happen and that they may obey the gospel. Or maybe there's some crisis or problem in their lives and maybe we pray to God that maybe their life be extended. And as the result of that, the gospel comes to them and they obey the gospel before it's eternally too late. Any number of ways. Now, we pray this prayer as we pray all other prayers. Acts 18, verse 21, James chapter 4 and verse 15, we are praying according to God's will. All the praying that we do in the world is not going to be a substitute for the free will decision of any uh, person outside of Christ that makes them become Christian. And yet we see it's not vain. If it's something that God calls for, It is certainly something that he wants us to do and which will be beneficial. How many folks will be in heaven ultimately because we prayed for the lost? How was that answered? We don't know, but we know he calls for us to do it. And then number three, what are some good specific things that we can pray for with regard to the lost? Well, I'm going to formulate just a very brief list. One of the things that I would suggest that we need to pray for with regard to the lost is we need to pray for more time. In James chapter 4, verse 13, James says, Go to now you that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. At its fullest, we're not going to be here for very long. And so that being the case, we want to pray, God, please give them more time. Maybe with some more time, they will obey the gospel before it's everlastingly too late. Because it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. We also, in our praying, want to pray for people to have their eyes open. I know God wants that prayer. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul is praying on behalf of saints and he says, I pray that the the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you may see. Isaiah longed in the long ago in Isaiah 35 and verse 5 that the eyes of the blind might see. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8 that Christ came to be light in the darkness to help those who cannot see. Paul says that the majority of folks are being blinded by the message of this world. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, in whose uh, minds the uh, eyes have been blinded by the, 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 the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of God, the image of Christ, should shine on them. There are so many people who are being deluded, who are being blinded by the message of this world. We need to for them, that we can counteract that, that we can be a force for good in helping them to see what God wants them to see. We also may want to pray for them to have a wake-up call. This may be a prayer that we pray as a more mature Christian. I, I don't know exactly what form that may take for you. But is it wrong for us to pray that if nothing else, something will open their hearts and their minds to help them to see their dependency on God? We don't ever want to pray for somebody to lose their life, but what if there was a health crisis? Or what if there was some kind of financial crisis in their life? Or or what if there was some uh, reverse, a loss of a job? 
that caused them to lie flat of their back. My dad used to say this a lot when he preached. He said some folks have to be knocked flat of their back before they can look up and see God. Maybe that's what it takes. But in that state, someone might have their heart open whose heart was never open before. Now, it can happen in other ways. Maybe they're given a bigger responsibility in their lives. Or maybe they get a huge undeserved blessing. And it's overwhelming to the point that they say, this must be something bigger than coincidence or chance. Maybe, maybe there's a God and maybe I should serve him. Another thing we can pray for is for there to be good Christian examples in their lives. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus reminds us that one of the biggest impediments to our prayer lives might be the life that we live or that someone else lives. Oh, it doesn't take very long for us to undo a lot of biblical truth by a poorly lived life. You know, Jesus says it's inevitable, but that stumbling blocks will come. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? That it's going to happen. As sure as the church exists in Bowling Green, Kentucky, there are going to be stumbling blocks among the people of God. I don't think that's a stretch to say, certainly in the world, but certainly usually in the local setting. It's impossible but that they will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. But it would have been better for them that a millstone were placed around their neck and they'd be dropped to the depths of the sea and they should cause one of these little ones to stumble. And so I want to make sure that I'm praying, starting with myself, God, please help me to be the very best example that I can be. And please be with my brothers and sisters in Christ that on the job, in the classroom, in the neighborhood, on the ball fields, and wherever else we find ourselves, that we will not undo the light of Christ with our lives. But we also want to pray for strength and patience. You know, when you consider the fact that we are going to go into an ordinary day from here through the rest of this week and on out into the infinite future, as we look and see those people whose lives we touch every day who are not seemingly any closer to obeying the gospel, it can cause us to get weary. You know, Jesus, in the context of the the scripture that was read so well to us a moment ago in Luke 18, 9 through 14, at the very beginning of that text... Jesus, thoughtful of his disciples, gave this parable so that they would pray and not lose heart. Isn't it possible as you're thinking about non-Christians, and what you, especially those that you love and you care about and that are close to you in your life, isn't it wearying sometimes that you're praying for them to come a step closer to obey the gospel and you're not seeing that? Isn't it easy to get discouraged? Here's what can happen. As we're waiting for somebody else and we're frustrated that they're not obeying the gospel, sometimes it may cause us to begin to stumble in our faith. Or maybe we begin to give up hope. I believe in our prayer life that we have that resource to help us to hang on and to be strong because it might be with just one more blow. They might wake up in the far country and they may be ready to come back home. It may be closer than we think. I don't know what the circumstances are. But I know the answer is always the same. That whatever we're going through in our collective life and our individual life, the answer is prayer. I don't know if if you can remember back to when Carrie Strug was in the Olympics. But uh, she was uh, a gymnast and she won a gold in the vaulting event. And she did so on an ankle that could not support her weight. It was one of the amazing stories of the 1996 Olympics. And it was such an impressive story that it caught the attention of the President of the United States. 
And so the president called Carrie Strug. But Carrie happened to be on the phone with her friends. And her dad happened to be in the room and said, Carrie, you need to hang up. The president of the United States is on the phone. And she said, oh, you, you're just joking. And she continued to speak with her friends. Maybe the only person I've ever heard of that kept the president of the United States on hold. But finally, she was convinced. And she spoke to the president. Isn't it amazing that we have the God of all the universe who has created everything, who is waiting for us to go to him in prayer? Is any among you uh, afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Uh, confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain upon the earth, and it, prayed not, it rained not by the space of three years and six months, and he prayed again. And the heavens brought forth rain, and the earth brought forth its fruit. Where's the... Where's the miraculous in that? You have different circumstances where there's affliction, where there's sin, where there's need, and you have people of God just like us who prayed to God and the powerful effects that it had. God works that way in our lives. And I hope, you see, a church that is not dependent on prayer is going in the wrong spiritual direction. So I hope that we maintain this interest and that we'll grow more mature and our prayers. It is the ministry of Christians to be faithfully engaged in prayer. It may be tonight that we can pray on your behalf, that we can petition the Father who waits for us because of something that's going on in your life. These men will make room for you up front if you need to come and to make that publicly known and we'll be, we'll be thrilled to pray to God for you. But maybe you're ready to begin that journey as a child of God with the access to the blessings that we have talked about already today, if you'll simply respond in faith, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, repenting and being baptized to have those sins washed away. If we can help you, if this is your invitation, won't you come as we stand and sing the song?